Hey, Lily. You know that Mind the Product is now part of Pendo, right? We're not the same little scrappy upstart that got this whole podcast going. Yeah, of course I know that, Randy. It's big news, although <laughs> nothing really has changed for us. Um, I do know from experience that innovation can be harder when you have more layers of management. And come on, we're product people. We want to innovate. We want to do stuff. We want to learn. How do you think we're going to be able to pull that off? Well, I have just the thing. And by thing, what I mean is just the guy that we need to talk to. (laughs) He's only just written the book on getting innovation done in larger companies. And while we're not doing B2B on this podcast, I think it's still very applicable. Ah, that could only be Daniel Elizalde. And yeah, I just finished reading his book, The B2B Innovator's Map. It's got lots of great actionable advice. You... You really think he'd help us out? Well, he's waiting for us in the virtual studio now, so let's go find out. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week on the podcast, we talk to the best product people from around the globe. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover more. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium content discounts to our conferences around the world, and training opportunities. Mind the Product also offers free Product Tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you. Daniel, welcome to the Product Experience for the second time. Welcome back. So great to have you back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lily and Randy. This is a, a pleasure to be here for the second time. It's one of my favorite shows, so I'm honored. Ah, thank you. We are honored too. Um, so for anyone who didn't listen to the first episode that we did with you, could you give us a real quick intro to who you are and what you do in product? Yes, of course. So my name is uh, Daniel Elizalde. I've have about 23 years of experience in technology in general. Uh, most of my career has been in product management. I've worked in uh, industries like uh, manufacturing, aerospace, uh, telecommunications, uh, but most of my interest is in the climate space. I've had a, a couple of leadership roles. I was head of product for STEM, which is a fast-growing uh, energy storage company in Silicon Valley. Um, I was vice president head of IoT for Ericsson, leading innovation for 5G and IoT. I also teach IoT product management at Stanford. And uh, today I am an independent consultant focusing on advising companies with their product strategy around solutions for the energy transition. And I'm a mentor at a couple of climate accelerators as well. So all product all the time. Um, and I also recently published my first book, The B2B Innovators Map, which is 23 years of you know, mistakes that uh, you can avoid by reading the book. Amazing. That does sound very worthwhile reading for most B2B product <laughs> people. Um, so give us a little bit of insight into the elevator pitch for the book and what's important about innovation in B2Bs. Like, where do people get it wrong? Yes. So uh, there's several reasons why I, I wrote this book. There's not a lot of information for product people for B2B. A lot of what we see out there is for B2C. And I've always felt like a, like an outlier because I've always been working in B2B. So I said, you know, you know, what do I do with this information? I can't just, you know, park my team at a Starbucks to talk to people, or I just can't uh, do A-B testing all day. And so I, I wanted to create a book 
for us working in B2B that has a lot of the tools and techniques specifically for the business-to-business market. And when I was starting the book, I thought I could do something from like idea to scale, but that's too big. In my experience, a lot of products don't even get to their first 10 customers. So they die early in the innovation stage. So that's why I decided to make the book a blueprint for succeeding from idea to your first 10 customers. And I love the fact that you've got six really clear stages in this and you emphasize again and again in the book uh, that you need to advise everybody at the beginning what the stages are and how you're going to hopefully move through all of them or, or not. But can you just lay out what those stages are before we do a deep dive into a couple of them? Of course. Uh, One of the main things that I wanted to do is to demystify this whole innovation concept, right? A lot of people think that innovation is a black box and only if you're at Apple or Elon Musk, you can do innovation. In reality, innovation can be uh, or is a process uh, and it has distinct stages. So I break the journey from idea to your first 10 customers in six distinct stages. And they are uh, strategic alignment, market discovery, user discovery, solution planning, prototyping, and early adopter. And this doesn't mean that the process is waterfall. There's a lot of iterations within each of the stages, but it does mean that you have to have clear inputs and outputs to go to the next stage. And where a lot of companies get it wrong is that they're starting at the prototyping part or they're starting at the you know first deployment part and they're missing all those early stages. And without that, your strategy is going to be flawed and you're going to be uh, running into a lot of waste and, and problems, really. And and you stop at that early adopter stage, or at least you stop in this book at the early adopter stage. I assume it could have kept going with crossing the chasm and things like that. And maybe that's a volume two or? <laughs> yeah. So I kind of laid myself the, the path to writing books two and three. In fact, when I submitted uh, the book to my editor, they said, you know what? The last two chapters are actually the beginning of your next book, right? We should cut it here. And I wanted to have something very, very actionable for people that read my book that says, you start very early with that idea and you go through these stages and you end here. And where the book ends is that you have enough market validation that your product has potential. And then you're ready to have the discussion with leadership about what next? It doesn't mean that automatically you're going to scale, but you have the data to say, what do we do? Do we invest in you know, a new market? Do we invest in more engineering? Do we invest in sales? Do we invest in tech debt? Right? But, but it takes you there and then you can actually have certainty, uh, which is one of the things that I talk about in the book, this idea of product market fit. It's something that I advised against because It is not tangible. And so a lot of companies that I talk to, they say, we're going to go for product market fit. Well, what does that really mean? And so in the book, I said, well, what innovation looks like is going through these stages. And if you get here with these very concrete milestones, then you can have that growth conversation. So let's go. You said that a lot of people skip the the first stages and and tend to start later on in in the stages that you mentioned. Um, If we go to the kind of the first couple of stages, strategic alignment and market discovery, what are your interpretations of what those stages are and what people are trying to gain from those 
those phases and and what they need then to move on to the, the next stage of course um we can start uh, at the beginning the the first stage is strategic alignment and i was a little bit um shy of whether i should include that stage in the book because i thought everybody embarking in this journey should have strategic alignment should know what they're aiming for but it turns out that as i was doing a lot of research for the book a lot of companies and a lot of leaders struggle with that so the first stage is you have to have an agreement with your leadership team on what problem what customer problem you are going to explore not solve but explore and what i've seen is that a lot of companies just say well we're going to go and try to get into a new market or we're just going to leverage this technology or we heard this one customer wants this and we're going to go that direction and so the reality is that you have to have a clear alignment of what the strategy of the company is and what areas you want to innovate and why and then with that information the product team or the innovation team can start the exploration but if you don't have that alignment you run the risk of going down the path and when you come up with something that has potential the company is going to be like well no we're not going to go in that direction or that's not what we had in mind and um i i've been in those situations many many times when you talk about creating strategic alignment again you've got some very clear actionable things to do it uh let's run through those but first who do you need to do it with this is not something that is just you deciding on something and presenting it it's not you and one other person going into a room and deciding it. It, it. You're talking about enterprise B2B. Who else do you really need? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and in the book, I, I take two perspectives, right? The, what I call the innovator in the book is the person responsible for driving a new product initiative all the way, right? And so that could be, let's say, the, the CEO or founder at a startup or like the VP of innovation at a large corporation, and so depending on, on your situation, it's going to be a different uh, different people that you need to involve. If you are, let's say, the, the founder of a startup, maybe you just need that alignment with your CEO and maybe with your board or whoever is financing and with the head of engineering. So they all need to agree, right? But if you are in a bigger corporation, I think it's really important to understand what is the progression of that innovation that you're going to have. Meaning, is it going to be a new company that you're going to spin off? Is it going to be a extended product that goes into a line of business? And so depending on where it goes, let's say that it goes into an existing business unit. Well, you need agreement with the executives of that business unit. You need people from finance. You need people from engineering. You need people from procurement. You need people from the C-suite because you're going to need all those elements. And the idea is that if everybody is aligned on the problem you want to explore, as you start exploring the problem, it's a lot easier to get that buy-in and then that continuous funding if everybody was aligned from the very beginning. Um, and then you talk about market discovery and user discovery as well. Um, I think one of the things that's really interesting with innovation is it's often, well, it's typically trying to do something in a new way. And so it can be quite challenging depending on the newness of it as to whether you're having to educate your market or educate your customer with the new solution. Do you have any kind of specific tips around this? And um, what are the sort of like gotchas for 
you know, really being innovative in a B2B space? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And uh, the way I think about it, there are different types of innovation. So I define in the book innovation as the ability to create a product or a service that is going to provide new value to your customers and to your company. There is a concept of disruptive innovation, which is something completely new that nobody has ever seen. That's one side. But there's also incremental innovation, which is more of what I am talking about. Um, and the example that I can think of is I work in the in the climate space, so energy transition, renewable energy, those kind of things. In, in this space, the example I can give you is a lot of people think that, oh, to be innovative, you have to create you know, the next generation of batteries, or you have to create this machine that sucks carbon from the air and creates, you know, puppies or something like completely out there. But in reality, a lot of what we need is advancing the technology that already exists and accelerate their deployments. And so you can look as an innovator into what is the journey from your customers and what is creating the most friction. Let's take, for example, uh, solar panels. Well, solar panels exist and they work perfectly well. You could accelerate their adoption if you were able to sell them a lot faster because the sales process is very cumbersome. Well, maybe you can create a new digital solution that helps installers evaluate and sell projects a lot faster. And that in itself is innovation and that's going to advance the whole cost, right? And so there are companies that just do that, right? You create a new product to accelerate a particular friction problem of your whole value chain or customer journey. And that alone could be very, very lucrative. So I think it's important to think about it like that. The product perspective that I have of innovation is let's figure out what problems our customer base are having and let's try to find a better, cheaper, faster solution to those problems. We're not necessarily trying to suck you know, carbon from the air and create puppies, which would be kind of cool. <laughs> Somebody figures that out, right? Well, you, you're hitting on one of the things or you're touching up against one of the things that comes up again and again when we talk to, to people about B2B and issues that they have. And finding the problems that people have implies that you understand your customers really well. And having mm -hmm. access to customers in B2B it's, can sometimes be a real challenge. And I know we can do an entire episode on this, so I don't want to uh, spend that much time on it. But you've done this for so long, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you one question on it. So is there one top tip for people to get access to customers in B2B if their sales is in the way or uh, it's just not structured well for them? Yes, for sure. I think that's, and I have a whole section on the book about that. So one of the things that I that I do in the book is I separate market discovery and user discovery. In market discovery, I explicitly say that it's important to understand your champion, and this is the equivalent of the buyer. So your champion is a person that has the pain that needs to be solved. And that's one category of users. And then there are the actual users of the product whose outcome of using that product is going to roll up to solve the problem of the champion. And we can talk more about that. And so the first thing is to understand that there's those two components. And then there are several tips that I can give you. First of all, in B2B, your best friend is the sales force. So it's important to partner with them and educate them on the benefits of the innovation process, how to do discovery, 
and help them understand that whatever discovery you're doing now is going to help them sell more and get more quota later. Because whether we like it or not, they are the gatekeepers for the customers. So that's one big area. And the other one is getting proxies for your type of persona that you want. You might not be able to get to, you know, all CMOs, but who can give you some of that information? Um, go through associations, go through LinkedIn, go through your personal network and build that uh, so that when you need it and you do discovery, you have that pool of people to pull from. So in the book, I have specific techniques on how to do it, but it's a, it, it's not as easy as in B2C. And when you're looking at the different markets, which I guess is a, a, a another sort of dimension of this, and I, I've done a short stint as a as an innovation manager in a big company, although it was a B two C company. <laughs> um, and uh, like we had a challenge there to look at the market and to look at all the different segments and decide which one to go after next, or or kind of to dive into. Is there a, a method that you have for assessing the different opportunities in different markets and deciding where to focus your attention? Yes, I think that's a really important point Lee, that you bring up. Um, from all the either large corporations or startups, one of the number one pains that I see is selecting a target market. Uh, Part of it is because they just don't want to. There's a fear of missing out. If I if I select a, tar- a narrow market, will I be losing losing out? And sometimes it's just because they don't know how to do it. So I think it's a really important thing for for us product people to know, like what to do. In the book, in the market discovery section, I specify that the characteristics of a target market. Um, first of all, a target market is just a set of companies that share a specific criteria that you're going to explore. And so the characteristics that I list in the book is companies in the same target market have to be in the same industry, have to have a similar company size, have to be in the same geography, have to have the same champion, meaning the person that has, that is tasked with solve a problem has to be similar and go after the same use case. And the reason I say this is because all these elements will actually break down your explorations. In, in many different paths if you're not careful. So for example, company size. The pains of a large corporation are going to be very different than a mom and pop shop. And so if you focus on one, then you can explore whether their pain is big enough that you can solve it. Doesn't mean that you're going to completely forget the other one forever. It's just that for now, you're going to drive deeper into that one. The other one that I emphasize is geography especially uh, since I work in uh, highly regulated industries like energy or, or I've, I've had opportunities to work with uh, telecommunications or transportation, the regulations are very different in different countries. And so if you say, I'm going to have a pilot in the US and one in China and one in Singapore and one in France, the regulations alone are going to eat all your engineering team's time. Right? So focus on one and see if there's an opportunity there. And so on, right? And and the idea is to put a stake in the ground and say, we're going to explore companies in this industry with this company size, this geography, this use case, and we're going to start the discovery process. We're going to start talking to people in that target market, and we're going to start understanding their pain, and we're going to see if there's a there there, but we're not committed, right? We can always go back and say, what, you know, this didn't pan out. Let's try to change one of the parameters 
and move forward. And that's the whole idea. You're exploring, right? And you won't know until you do the deep dive. But it's a lot faster to explore that way than to say, I'm just going to build something and throw it on the wall and see what sticks. And I think this is something really interesting that I've seen as well. Um, often people think that if there's a problem to, you know, if they've, if they've solved a problem, then the customers will come. But actually, if you already are connected to a market and you already have customers in a market, you know, play to your strengths and find more problems to solve for those customers. Because usually it's attracting the customers that's harder than building the solution. <laughs> um, it's potentially not always correct, but in my experience, it's um, often been the way. Yeah, I completely agree. Especially uh, if you think one of the main differences with B2C and B2B is that B2C is usually a, more of a volume play. So you have millions and millions and millions of, of customers. In B2B, your customer is a company. Each company might have multiple users, but it's a company. And so you might have a big business with just 100, 200, 300 customers, but each customer buys a lot. So the sales cycle for that customer is a lot. Uh, and so, you know, if you're, if you're narrow in focus and you already have all these relationships with existing companies, you should pursue and see what other problems you can solve with them. Always taking a step back to see, is there a market so that we can sell to more people like like this, as opposed to falling into the one-off trap. So how important is it to ensure that you have access to a market before you start in this? You know, is this something you can get later or do you really need to walk in and B2B with the relationships already in place, whether it's, whether it's uh, through previously existing relationships or salespeople or current customers that you're trying to expand into a different, uh, different space for? Yeah, so you... Let me put it a different way. You're going to need those relationships to do a lot of this discovery and to learn how to provide value to those customers. If you don't have it, it's going to take a lot longer. You can build it, but it's going to take a lot longer. So that's why it's uh, one of the criteria for a target market that sometimes I discuss with my clients is where do you have the relationships? And if you have it in this particular vertical or in this particular industry, okay, can you explore deeper? Because you can talk to people you already know that can connect you to other people and you can move faster. Now, if you don't have any of that, that's where uh, industry analysts comes in and there's companies like working with accelerators that can actually have the relationships with a lot of corporations and startups. So there's ways to do it. It's just going to take a little bit longer, but, but you have to do it. Okay, so assuming you've got your market and your, you understand your users, um, you have strategic alignment in your business, um, you've planned a solution, you've prototyped it, and you're getting to the early adopter stage. Sorry, I know I've skipped a few stages there. <laughs> <laughs> just skip like a year of work, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, when, you're getting, uh, when you're getting to that kind of prototyping and early adopter stage, I know that one of the other kind of things that um, I've certainly struggled with in previous roles is knowing when to, like how to price a product when it's still kind of in its infancy um, and also how to run that pilot with the first initial customers. So what's your, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you touch on, on really 
deep and, and good topics, right? So the the pricing one, there are very important things that you need to do while you're doing the discovery. Uh, mostly the market discovery, which is you're talking to your your champions to understand the overarching pain, is that you need to understand what is the impact, the monetary impact of the pain that you're exploring. Meaning, how much is it costing them to have this problem and not being able to address it? That is going to help you understand the size of the problem and also the willingness to pay to understand what are they doing today. Um, if you have uh, an idea or a range of a number, you know, usually pricing for products in uh, B2B is usually 10 to 15% of the pain is what you could charge for your, for solving that problem. Now, I say that when you're doing the market discovery, you are going to start inquiring for some of these things. But when you're doing your prototyping, one of the things that you're prototyping is your packaging and your pricing. You are going to go and interact with potential early adopters and are going to test out your pricing model. And when you get to a pilot, those pilots need to be paid because you are also validating the willingness to pay and you're testing out. In the book, I say that um, the, the concrete milestone that I discuss in the book is getting to your first successful, your 10 successful pilot customers. And it is possible that each one of those 10 has a different pricing model because you're testing them out to see which one reduces the, uh, the friction to purchase. So something that you learn about the pain and then you have to test, 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 test uh, to get into something that you can eventually scale. You may have just answered my next question, which is when you get into that pilot stage, I mean, it takes a lot to do some of these in, in a B2B. You need somebody who's really willing. The, the payment makes sure that they're committed uh, and you cover a lot of that in the book as well. Um, but it, it is, as we just said, it, it takes a lot of effort to run these. So should you do one with a really good customer who's going to get you going or should you spread it out and try and get a number of them in place initially? I, I recommend uh, getting 10 uh, customers. And what I mean is 10 different companies. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to validate that this problem is pervasive and that you're having multiple people willing to pay. Because one of the challenges with B2B is that you don't only have to uh, prove that you can sell it. You can. You also need to prove that you can deliver on that value by operating the solution that you just sold. And you can't know that until you go into a company, deploy your solution, if even it's a pilot, and actually run it and demonstrate that you can deliver that value. And if you do that with one, two companies, you have good insights but my experience has been that once you do that with 10 companies, 10 different companies, you probably have seen everything that can and will go wrong. And now you have that certainty that, you know what? Yeah, this is repeatable in the industry. We have, we have proof that we can actually do it. I've seen companies try to scale a solution that they just did one successful pilot. Guess what? There was never a customer too, right? Because, because they didn't get it right. Does that also help you with some ammunition, but that when you're dealing with enterprise, they are going to come and say, but we need this. Can you just customize it to do that? Can you add this little feature for us? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's an excellent point. And, and in the book, I talk about being strategic. You have to do everything in your power 
to make that pilot successful. And that is going to mean, no question, that you're going to have to add some custom features. But you need to be smart and you need to understand whether those features are going to help you in your overall target market or is it really a one-off? And then that's when the partnership with engineering is very important because then you can architect your solution so that those things that are purely custom can be decoupled. And in B2B, you're starting to set up what's going to be your last mile type of solution. Most B2B products need some sort of customization. And usually that is done either by a project team or by a systems integrator. And so from very early on, you can start decoupling some of these things. So you end up with a core that is going to be sold repeatedly. And you have the beginning of the interfaces that are going to provide that extensibility that not only are going to open the door for other customers, but it also can open new lines of revenue by monetizing that extensibility. Okay. And you said for for a pilot, there's a few different types of things that you're testing or different types of viability. One mm-hmm. of them is the internal viability. So you're looking, is this actually going to be profitable? Can we scale this up and do it? But you're not trying to prove that initially with the team you've got. You're, you're, you're doing some manual stuff. You're not necessarily building everything, right? Correct. So there's, there's a couple of things there. In the, one of the rules that I have for pilots is that you must not focus on uh, scale, meaning you are not building something that's going to scale to a large number of users. It needs to be stable, but it might not be scalable, meaning you know it, can't, it doesn't crash all the time, but you're not building for scalability yet because you're not scaling. Don't, don't waste money on that. Right? So make sure that you're only building whatever you need to prove, uh, what you're trying to prove. And I forgot the first part of the question. <laughs> it's okay. It was about the proving internal viability, and you know you yes. might be throwing more people at this during a pilot or not building everything. Yes, the internal viability is a concept that I came across in 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 my professional career, and I've seen actually quite a bit. So when you are doing the strategic alignment early on, you are coming up with an agreement of what are you going to explore, and as you continue to advance through the innovation journey you are feeding back to the leadership team, this is what we're discovering, this is what we're doing, this is what we, it's, we're planning to do. When you get to prototyping, you're already starting to build a potential solution. That's when you need to test for internal viability. So what internal viability means is going back to your leadership team and said, now that we know everything that we know, this is what we're building and this is the business that we're going to be in. Are you still with me? Because believe it or not, it is possible that once leadership sees the direction that you're going to go in terms of the type of product, the requirements for you know, a new sales team and a new different marketing with a different positioning area, or it, it's heavy on partners or whatever it is that you came up with, they might say, you know what? Now that we see it, we're not going to support it. And so you better know then than after you have your pilots because otherwise it goes full. So validation and testing in B2B, at least in, in, in my method, has to be both ways. It has to be with the market and it has to be internally. Right? This is what we're finding. Hey, company, are you still supporting me? Okay, this is what we're finding in the market customer. Company, are you still with me? Because right? they need to be behind it. And a lot of projects die in the innovation stage because the company was not fully invested because they really didn't understand what they were buying, believe it or not.
Yeah, I think that makes so much sense. So having having that leadership team or, or board or whatever it is brought along the way and mm-hmm. you as an innovation manager understanding the strategy and the, the kind of the politics within your business to understand where like what people want to achieve yep. is definitely yeah definitely going to de-risk your project i think it's such an amazing like space uh i've loved working in innovation it's been so great talking to you daniel thank you so much for sharing your wisdom <laughs> with us <laughs> thank you I, I don't know about that i just le- sharing my lessons learned so uh lily Randy, it's always a pleasure talking to you and and i'm really glad that uh you're, you're uh, allowing me this forum to talk more about uh, innovation in B2B, which we don't get to talk about as often. So I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, our pleasure, completely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>